If you're uh, online or in person, you can give online. There's a way to do that on our website, trinitycanmore.com slash give. Uh, we are not yet passing a basket. There's a box at the back if you have um, gifts to, to give this morning. And we thank you for that. Well, this morning we are continuing through our series called Light at the End of the Tunnel. Uh, we've been working through this for the last few weeks on how we can put the past 15 or so months behind us. We said each week that, that putting uh, the last while behind us, the, the 15, 16, 17 months, whatever it is now since COVID kind of took over the world, it's not about getting a vaccine, it's not about opening up spaces and buildings, and it's not about getting rid of masks. See, in order to, to put behind us the last 15 months, we have to actually take some time and look at ourselves and look in ourselves and see what the last 15 months has actually done to us, or what we let it do to us. And that list can be long. So far, we've looked at the relational breakdowns that have happened, the, the divides and splits that have happened in, in families and, and friend groups and workplaces and churches. We said we need to just overflow those things with grace, the grace Jesus has given us. We've looked at, the, in the second week, the, the sad, sick, or even sinful people we became as we hide behind our masks and not just the piece of cloth or uh, disposable sort of paper thing that we've been wearing. And last week, we looked at the, the selfishness and self-centeredness that has crept into our culture as well as our own lives. And each week we looked at a biblical key to putting it behind us and, and coming out of it. And every week, I hope you heard me say it all comes back to Jesus. We've said that, that these keys will help us find health and wholeness, healing and even forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to take another step along that journey. We're going to look at something that, that might not fit into a, a directive or a bylaw that our town or province might hand, hand down or, or anything that Health Canada might tell us to do, but it probably should. What we're going to look at this morning is our need to replace our feeds. We need to replace our social media feeds. We need to replace our news feeds with ones that will serve up truth instead of falsehood, peace instead of conflict, and calm instead of anxiety. Now, I think uh, with the advent of the internet and then social media and all the things around us, we have all seen or heard how, how various news platforms seem to look at the same thing and report wildly different angles on it. This isn't new. The newspapers and magazines have done this for forever. Each side is accusing the other of, of fake news or false reporting or wrong emphases or just straight-out spin. Now this morning, we are not going to get into which news sources you should listen to because that's not my job. We're not going to talk about who tended to get it right and who tended to get it wrong. We're not going to talk about which websites are accurate and which are filled with misinformation. We need to get above all of that. What I want to suggest this morning, if we're going to put all of the, the misinformation or the wrong emphases on certain uh, anxiety-inducing informations, if you want to put everything that was just conspiracy theory, if you want to put everything that was 
fake news, false narrative, misleading fear tactics, all the felt anxiety from whatever news feed we watched, and they all did this. We're going to need to replace whatever it was we were feeding off of. We need to replace that with the one and only news and truth feed that we should be uh, allowing to be our unequivocal, authoritative news feed in our life. The one source that needs to be our ultimate filter through which we think about everything else. The one source that we should ultimately consult before any others and let it judge all others too. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, there is one feed we need to prioritize and listen to more than any others, and that is Scripture. That is the Bible. That's the fourth biblical key to putting all of this behind us. It's time to replace the importance and primacy of whatever we were paying most attention to over the last 15 months, whether that was your news channel, your social media feeds, whoever you were following on those social media feeds, get rid of that and replace it with the primacy and authority and inspiration of the Bible. Here's why. This is a core belief of the Christian faith. Now, if, if you're joining us uh, online or wherever or watching this later and you wouldn't yet ca call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, uh, maybe you're not totally sure where you stand. First, let me just say thank you for being here with us. You're welcome here. You're welcome to have questions and ask questions and, and wonder what this is all about. You're welcome to bring that here. But here is the Christian perspective on the scriptures, on the Bible. What we have in this book is God's revelation to us. The Bible is God's revelation to us. Now that word revelation comes from the Latin word revelatio, which literally means to draw back the curtain. The word was most often used in theater. So imagine if you're, uh, because we can now, sitting in a movie theater or uh, a theater theater waiting for a play to begin. You, unless you've seen it before, you don't actually know the story. You don't actually know what's going on until that curtain is pulled back and the story is revealed to you. And that's what the Bible is. It's God's revelation to us. It's God revealing himself. It's God revealing the truth about himself, uh, the truth that could not otherwise be known. It's where God pulls the curtain back and gives us a glimpse of everything going on. Now, the Bible isn't just a normal book or collection of books. Christians believe that it is inspired by God. Now, we have to be careful not to water down that term inspired either. As is so often the case, we need to define our terms. So when we use the term inspired, sometimes we use it to, to mean, you know, it was a, something wonderfully creative. And you walk through an art gallery and you say, man, these, these artists were just inspired to paint this. Maybe you, you listen to some famous Bach concerto and think, man, the, like, he was just on another level. He was inspired when he wrote this. Maybe you do go to a play and when, when Shakespeare wrote whatever he wrote, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, those are the only two I can come up with right now. It was just an inspirational literary work. He was inspired to write these things. Sometimes we use that word for how we feel too, right? We find 
picture of a sunset or a great mountain reflection in a lake or something like that. Just, it's just an inspiring piece. We look at the actions of someone else. We, we think of, of what Terry Fox, for instance, set out to do and run from coast to coast. He was, he was just inspiring. This movie is inspiring. All these things are inspiring, which really dulls down what we're talking about when we say the Bible was inspired. The Bible, when we say it was an ins- inspired by God, was an inspired book, it's so much greater than any of those things. When uh, Paul, who was one of the early leaders in the church, one of the apostles, was describing the scriptures to Timothy, who was one of his uh, young leaders that he was mentoring, he put it this way, all scripture is inspired, there's our word, inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us, what, uh, teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Paul uses, the word Paul uses in the original language for inspire literally means God breathed. And other translations say, you know, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's the idea behind us saying that the scriptures are inspired, that they were breathed out by God, that they were exhaled by God, that they were produced by God. This is not a human book. It, it was written by humans, sure, but they were moved by God in what they wrote. Their writings reflect their personality, their vocabulary, their writing style. We've learned so much about uh, in the field of literary criticism that we can tell Paul wrote these because the style is the same. We can tell that Paul didn't write this because something's not quite right. So there, there's hints of humanity in the words, but the act of writing itself was stirred by God. Have you ever uh, read through your Bible and circled every time where it says, the Lord says, or something similar? If you did that, you'd have well over 3,000 circles in your Bible. The Lord says this. God said this to his people. The prophet Jeremiah recorded God saying to him that, that I, I, God, have I've put my words into your mouth. So go and say these things. And they were written down for us. The idea of inspiration is that God used people to write the books of the Bible, but he was so involved in the process that they wrote it exactly how he wanted it written. Another, uh, maybe one of the clearest expressions of this idea is in 2 Peter, and here's what Peter wrote. 2 Peter chapter 1 said, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So, why is this such an important news feed for us? Because right now we need the truth of the Bible to combat the lies being fed to us every single day about how we do life, what we think about life, lies that are coming at us from all over the place every single day. We need to know how to think. We need to know how to engage, how to critique. That's why I'm putting on you to choose your own news 
feeds, news sources. We need to know how to engage with these things. We need to uh, know how, uh, as we just read, we need to know what is true. We need to know what is right. We need to know what is wrong. And it's not just the lies that are coming at us from the outside, from culture, telling us, here's what we think in our day and age it means to be right or wrong. But we need God's revelation. We need God's word to also combat the lies that are coming at us from ourselves just as much. We need to make sure that we're telling ourselves the truth. We need a a reliable stream of news in our inner monologues as well. Here's how the author of Hebrews put it in Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is alive and powerful. Another translation says it's living and active. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And get this, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I don't know about you, but I, I need that. I need that reminder that God's word interprets us, that it goes after our our innermost thoughts and desires. Because here's the thing, when it comes to the ultimate issues of life, when it comes to the real divides between right and wrong, good and bad, truth and a lie, we do not need to be the ones making that decision. We don't need to be misled by more misinformation or falsehood. One source is not as good as another. And we can't just say, well, you do you, I'll do me. Your source is as good as my source. See, when it comes to ultimate things, we need to go to the ultimate source. And that's the Bible. That's the one from God. And over the last 15 months, year and a half or so, So many of us have gotten away from that source. We've been chasing down statistics and updated rankings and news on what's coming out and where it's coming out and can we do this or can we do that and and who's saying this and who's saying that and we've replaced our ultimate source with things that have messed up our thinking and our priorities and even our souls. But here's some good news. We're not the first ones that need this reminder to get back to God and his word and his teaching. What we're going through right now is not new. Here's what Paul wrote to a a new church plant that was just starting out in the city of Galatia. This was uh, one of Paul's churches that he planted. He got it going, he appointed some leaders, and then he headed off on his journey to the next place. But then some other people infiltrated the church they seemed to say the right things. They, you know, they knew the catchphrases. They knew the right words. They seemed to have the right credentials. But they were saying, listen, those things Paul told you about Jesus, they weren't quite right. Let's correct you on that. And the people in Galatia were being fed misinformation about the nature of the gospel, meaning the, the good news of Jesus and forgiveness and his grace, the, the heart of the Christian faith. And they were buying it. They said, you know, these, these guys, they sound pretty good. It seems like they know what they're talking about, even though what they were saying went against what Paul had taught them, what Jesus had taught. Here's what Paul wrote to them in Galatians chapter 1. He said, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not good news at all. 
You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And then down in verse, or chapter 3, Paul continues and says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast this evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. As we read those words, strong words of rebuke, I think there's three things we should take away from the verses. The first is, it's just how easily the Galatians were turned away. How they turned to the fringe, how they embraced a false narrative. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that you turned away so soon. Maybe they, maybe they kind of picked up this extra narrative, this false narrative, because it was something they wanted to believe. It sounded okay. They, they, they liked the message, even though uh, they maybe had a sense that this doesn't seem quite right, but you know what? It's comfortable. Maybe they were attracted to the angle or the bent or the perspective of this new distorted message. Whatever reason that they, they turned away so quickly, I think it shows how easily it is for any of us to be influenced and drawn away by a false narrative. Second, Paul writes to show uh, how tall and strong the truth is meant to stand over and above all other sources of information. See, the, the central message of the Christian faith, the one that we preach every week, the one that we're going to celebrate with communion a little bit later, and the one as given and evidenced by Jesus is so absolute that nothing else should take away from it. That's what Paul meant by uh, don't even take a new message from uh, an angel. He's saying a different message than the one given by Jesus doesn't have the authority to alter the charge and the message of the Christian faith that was given to us by Jesus. He wanted to make it clear that no matter how eloquent, how great a speaker, how charismatic a leader, how persuasive they may be, how, how, how many people are spreading a false perspective or narrative, it's still a false perspective or narrative. And the true story, the true method, message of Jesus stands over and against all of that, which is why uh, we need to really understand this. There's something that, that's happening in our day. I suspect it's happened before, but if we're followers of Jesus, we don't get to stand over Scripture and say, well, listen, we're in 2021 now. Here's what this should mean. That's not how, not how this works. Rather, Scripture stands over us and says, no, 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 no. We've seen this every decade probably since this was written you get to stand under this let scripture interpret you the third thing that stands out from uh, this passage is that line in in chapter three let me read it again in in the message paraphrase it says this you crazy galatians did someone put a hex on you have you taken leave of your senses you've lost it something crazy has happened Let's talk about the last 15 months. What happens when you swap out the truth of God with something else? Crazy happens. Elsewhere, Paul wrote, 
They traded the truth about God for a lie. And then what happens? He says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. It's fascinating to me how much Romans chapter 1, written 2,000 years ago, can sound like the last 15 months. When you exchange the truth of God for a lie, when you put other streams or news feeds over or against God's, you can only get what we can call crazy. That's why it's not just about getting our theology right or our worldview straightened out, but by getting back to to letting Scripture be our main and ultimate authority, our main and only news feed, putting whatever we're hearing, whatever we're reading through the filter of God's truth. It's about letting the Word of God that, that He has given to us feed who we are define what it means to be human and straighten out our own inner crazy. So here's what we need to remember that maybe we seem to have forgotten over the last little while. My mom told me this like when I was little, little, little. Maybe you've heard it too. Input determines output. As a child, she said, garbage in, garbage out. Right? What goes into us determines what comes out of us. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man or a woman thinks within himself, so he is. So how can we make sure we're listening to the right things, that we're letting the right things in, that we, that we clean up the things that need to be out of there? By changing the input. By l- watching and filtering what we allow into our lives. If we stick with Paul's letters, we can flip ahead to Philippians chapter 4 and look at Six basics, six things we need to be inputting into our lives. You've probably heard this verse. Maybe you even have it memorized. Maybe you're even coloring it this morning. Paul writes this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's the news feed. That's what we need our, I don't want to say we need our social media to do that, but that's how we need to, to filter what we allow in. That's how we need to filter the inputs is through those six things. And we're going to go through them uh, reasonably quickly here because each one is really important. First, Paul says, Our minds need to feed on things that are true. Well, how do we know what's true? First, as followers of Jesus, who accept, believe, and submit to the inspiration and authority of Scripture, we go to the Bible. If it's not true biblically, then it is not true. If we believe that The Bible is God's revealed word. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. Then we lean on it as our ultimate and foundational truth. And you know what? There are not many issues, situations, or choices in our day that cannot be informed by biblical truth. We need our minds to feed on what is true. The second thing is we need to feed our minds on what is noble. 
The idea here is we're to focus on things that are worthy of respect. Think about your last couple days, week. We'll keep the window a little bit short. What are the things that you focused your attention on, that you, you kind of gave yourself to? Are they worthy of respect? Are they neutral, which let me suggest maybe is not a thing? How much of what you, you read or watched online actually drives you towards negativity? Actually increases the walls and divides between people? But what if we look at what we're giving our attention to and filtered what we have, uh, what we have, what we're looking at towards things that make us think good of others? What, what makes us want to be good towards others? Things that actually cast a deeper vision for our lives than collect all you want, get all your stuff, stay away from them because they're wrong. What if we use a filter of things that are noble, things that call us to a, a better, deeper, more grounded life, a life that looks more like Jesus? See, if we're filling our minds with things that constantly point us towards even discontentment, if we open up our, our Instagram and keep strolling and see everybody's vacations, right? Everybody's perfect on Instagram. Everything's great. All of a sudden, my life doesn't look so good when they're on another trip, he's got a new car, his bike is shinier and faster and whatever, all the things, right? If we're constantly filling our minds with things that, that point us to, even, as I said, discontentment, but, but more so towards anger or bitterness, resentment or disgust, we got to turn that right off and replace it with what is noble. The third thing, we need to fill our minds with things that are right. And when we say right, we mean things that are just, things related to, to duty and responsibility. What we're trying to do is, is fill our minds with the right thing to do. Again, we, we look to Scripture, we look to Jesus for that. And instead, we look at things that are the right thing to do instead of looking for, you know, what we can sort of get away with or avoid. We need to fill our minds with the things that make us uh, less selfish and more selfless, less self-centered and more sacrificial, less self-absorbed and more servant-hearted. We need to fill our minds with the things that are right. Fourth, we need to fill and feed our minds with, think, with things that are pure. The idea here is moral purity. Psalm 101.3 starts out by saying, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. As, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't let things into our minds, into our souls, through the windows of our eyes that we know are vile. Vile means morally depraved. These things could include violence and gore. It could be gossip or tearing other people down. It could, of course, be things like pornography and, and whatever else. See, these things, they're not neutral. They will bring us down. We can't partake of any of these things and also draw closer to Jesus. The, the, the more vile things we allow in our minds and into our hearts, it actually numbs our relationships with others and most importantly with Jesus. 
But we need to feed our minds with things that are true and noble and right and for the sake of our relationship with Jesus, pure. Fifth, we need to feed our inner world with things that are lovely. The word Paul uses here means things that are, are, are pleasing and, and truly beautiful. It's, it's not attractive in a, like a physical sense. But these are things that are, that are positive, that are happy, that are joyful, things that point us towards Jesus. And finally, Paul says we need to take in what is honorable or admirable. Sometimes there is a temptation to give honor to the wrong things, to the wrong people, or even the wrong causes. Think about uh, people we tend to admire. Often they're attached to business or being wealthy or uh, uh, being accomplished in sports or entertainment or whatever, uh, whatever else. And this might all be well and good, but, but really it doesn't say anything about who they are as a people and whether they're really honorable as people. One example of this, uh, Gallup did a poll of the most admired men and women in the States for 2020, uh, and Elon Musk came in sixth right behind Pope Francis. Now, we probably have heard the name Elon Musk because of his, what? Business accomplishments, right? PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX. I cannot get enough of watching rocket boosters landing on barges in the ocean. Like, crazy that they, they can do this, right? He's one of the richest people on the planet. And that seems to be what people care about when they put him on this list of people to be most admired. Man, he's, he's successful in business. His, his cars are on the road. His aircraft or spacecraft are in space and coming down, usually. There's a lot to admire about his business and financial success. But he was also sued for defamation in 2018. The same year, he was sued by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for tweeting false financial information about a private takeover of Tesla. He has spread false information about COVID-19. He promotes conspiracy theories like uh, that aliens from another planet built the pyramids in Egypt. He rejects all religious faiths, and he's been married and divorced three times. This is not to beat up on Mr. Musk but rather to, to tell kind of a, culturally, a culturally telling point. What got him so admired was his business success or the success of his businesses, but his personal life, I don't think any of us want to replicate that. It seems challenged. So what is honorable? Let me suggest, again, it's, it's ultimately living like Jesus did. It's earning people's respect by treating people well. It's hard work. It's building people up. It's serving people around us. And ultimately, again, it is the cause of Christ. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent Excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the best way for us to think about such things, the best way for us to, to take them in, the best source of news for us, the best social media feed to get these in us, to get, 
get right in us and not wrong, to get good in us and not bad. The, the pipeline for what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable is God himself. The best way to hear from him is through his word, through his revelation, through the Bible. In just a minute, we're going to turn to the communion table. But let me pray before we get there. Jesus, again, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for the timeless truths that you breathed out for us that are in it. I pray that uh, if this isn't a passage, if Philippians 4, 8 isn't one that we have memorized or maybe one that we, 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 we know but we're, we don't always have it as, as tight in our minds as we would, that, that you would help us to remember this one. Help us to, to think about, to meditate on, to dwell on things that are true and honorable and just or right. Things that are pure and lovely and admirable or commendable. Things that are excellent and things that are worthy of your praise. Jesus, as we turn to the communion table, we remember what you did for us so that we can do these things. We thank you for your example, how you, you came and you uh, put on flesh, as we looked at in, in John's Gospel uh, some time ago. You walked the neighborhood, you, you came into the neighborhood, moved into the neighborhood with us to show us what it looks like to rightly relate to, to God himself and to others around us and, and to creation itself, that you showed us the true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy way. Thank you that even though we fail to live up to that standard so many times, you died on the cross to take our sin, our failures, take the punishment of those things for us. So as we take and eat and drink, we remember your work on the cross and we Proclaim your good news for us until you come back. In Jesus' name, amen.